Now, many, many years ago, I sat under the teaching of a guy called Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith, to me, is still the best teacher I've ever sat under. I, a lot of commentaries I've read, a lot of uh, teaching. Uh, a guy called Alfred Edersheim, which you don't know of, but a wonderful, wonderful uh, theologian from, from many years past. But this, what I want to talk about today, this, put this first slide up for us this morning. Thanks, Boo. Understanding the covenants and the prop, in its proper context. Now, when I listened to Malcolm Smith, he, t he taught a series on the blood covenant. But from then on, I started to realize how much covenants were mentioned in the Bible and how little we as churches and as Christians understand about covenant. This is the most powerful, pivotal message that you will hear in 2022 until probably next week. By the way, I love the dates. This, this last week was the 2nd of the 2nd, 22, 2-2-22. And I said that to Beck, and she said, so what? On the 22nd, it'll be 22-2-22. I said, okay, now my balloon is deflated. But anyway, that's the way it is. So you understand today that this is a message from your pastor that I believe will inspire you, and it will be something that you carry with you in the times of your ups and the times of your downs that you suddenly think that it's all on you and that you're failing God. If I was to say to you this morning, everybody stand up if you believe in Jesus Christ and you would all stand up. And then I could say to you, now, for all of you who haven't sinned since your conversion to Christ, sit down and you'd still be standing. But the truth is, if you understand the covenant and the God in whom you're in covenant with and the blood of the sacrifice, you would sit down because God does not count our sin against us when we hold the blood before the, the Lord God himself. It is Jesus Christ who makes a way for us. And we're going to take communion this morning and I want to share with you the truth of the covenant that you are now in. When you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, when you have entered into this new and better covenant provided by Christ, you will suddenly see that there is a liberty, a freedom and, a, and an absolute assurance that your salvation is is rock solid it's not shaken amen and many people waver on their walk with christ because they feel guilty and condemned and convicted the truth is the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you and to rock you from your path this morning this message from me your pastor is to strengthen you in the fact that you are in a covenant relationship with god and it's powerful it is powerful and you need to go and do some study on covenants because it'll bless you. Now that word covenant in its proper context comes from the Hebrew word, put this slide up, berith. Okay? Now berith, this Hebrew word, is translated into English. It's translated, translated into four ways actually. The word will, as in the last will, and get this next word, testament, and covenant, and to cut. It's mentioned approximately 300 times in Scripture. Now that's number three by 10 by 10. Three to perfection to completeness. Now, I, you, I love biblical numerology and this three needs to be explored just a little bit further as we put into context what covenants are all about. Every covenant needs three individuals three individual things. It needs two individual parties. And thirdly, there needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be a middle sacrifice. Three is completeness, just like 10 is uh, God's complete number. Three is the number of man completed. It's mentioned over 300 times. The first meaning 
of the number three in biblical terms, it's mentioned 467 times uh, in the Bible. It's a picture. A few examples we find of three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three righteous patriarchs, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Post-flood, we've got the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and who became Israel. There are 27 books in the New Testament, which is three by three by three to the complete power of God. Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've just pulled these out of the air. There's so many. He was placed on the cross at the third hour and he died in the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m. There were three hours of darkness that covered the earth at that time. Three is the number of resurrection, friends. Three is the number of resurrection. Jesus was in the grave for how long? Three days. There are only three individuals who, who witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus on Mount Hermon. Peter, James, and John. And they all speak strongly about it. Interesting one here. Words that appear, there are only three words that appear once in the Bible. One is reverend in Psalms 111 grandmother in 2 Timothy but this one will surprise you the word eternity is only mentioned once in the Bible in Isaiah 57 15 did you know that we hear about the word eternal everlasting but eternity is mentioned once the Bible only mentions three angels Gabriel Michael who's the third one friends Oh, we some don't read our Bible. It's one you don't think about. His name is Lucifer. Oh, it's not a trick question. It's not. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer's sin was he said that I will be like the most high, and he took one third of the angels with him. Next to seven, three is the most mentioned number in Revelation. The angel was charged to cry three woes to all who live on the earth to warn them of the trials to come. Three unclean spirits will be released upon the earth to torment the converted and thwart the return of Christ. Interesting, isn't it, that one third of the angels were cast down to earth. God is described in the very beginning of Revelation as being the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. And the list goes on and on. Suffice to say, three is important to God to get the message across to us very, very personally. We serve a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But now here comes the part of the three that I need to focus on this morning. Covenant comes in three ways. Three main things. Covenant needs you, it needs God, and it needs a sacrifice. Three things. But you need to understand that when you made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, you entered into a covenant and you need that covenant with him. And when you accepted Christ as your sacrifice, then your future is in his hands and he is your salvation and your salvation alone. Now, I don't want to lose you this morning, but I want to go as slowly as I can. You need to walk out of here and start to do some research and have an assurance in your heart that you are in a covenant, a blood covenant. He is the blessing, and you and I are the recipients of the blessing. 
So I want to open this up this morning and explain it as clearly and as concisely as I can that how profoundly possible it is to walk in the fullness and the completeness of restoration and healing because of God himself alive in you. See, a covenant is not an if you do this, then I will do that scenario. It's not an if you do this, I will do that. It's not that. A covenant is a strict biblical sense. It is a joint obligation where two parties come together and they covenant together that they will make a commitment to one another. It's not an obligation, it's a commitment. A covenant in a relationship wherein a party makes this covenant binds himself to fulfill certain agreements and conditions. And the Bible calls it this, cutting covenant. The covenant, it cuts deep. So this morning I'm going to break it down point by point to help us understand just how important that word covenant is and how you are partakers in the covenant this morning. The first thing is a preparation. Since a covenant was meant to be a permanent relationship, it was only ever, ever entered into with prayer and counsel and deep thought and ultimately a willingness to commit to the covenant. Secondly, a witness was sought out as a trusted mediator to both sides. A covenant was meant to be a public declaration of intent that I will do what I chose and said I will do. Now, when I do a wedding, friends, the first thing I do after I pray God's blessing over the couple being married, married in the sight of God, I do a thing called the promise of intent. Now, the promise of intent is not the vows the promise of intent have a listen to this i'll give an example do you greg take helen in the presence of almighty god and these witnesses here today that you will promise to love and cherish and protect helen this one whose right hand you now hold and do you promise to provide for her in both sickness and in health do you promise to be true to her, forsaking all others and keep yourself for her and for her alone until God separates you by death? Now, the answer is not, I do. Because I do like apples, I do like oranges, and I do like summer. But I will love you. I will love you. What I have is yours. It is full and complete. I will defend you. If someone strikes you, they strike me. If one attacks you, they attack me and I will be there. I will and declare that all my future days are yours and all your days are mine. This is a covenant. Have you heard of a term called the marriage covenant? This is a covenant between you and I and I will uphold it. Love is not a feeling. It is a choice. It is an act of your will. I will love you. God, I will serve you all the days of my life. God, I will accept your sacrifice, your blood upon my life. That's how God sees a covenant, one he made with broken, fallen humanity. That's what God did through his son Jesus, a covenant that we all could bring. All you and I can ever bring is our guilt, our shame, brokenness, sin, relying and believing and trusting on him that the one who came to redeem me he became the only acceptable perfect vessel of sacrifice 
the only one that could go between my brokenness and humanity and fallenness to a perfect God, Jesus Christ, that was acceptable with God and mankind. I really hope you can grasp how powerful this is this morning, friends, because without it, without his covenant, there's no salvation. Do you know that? Without a covenant between God and man, the restoration of broken, fallen mankind to God through Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Only eternal separation from the love of the Father, and I can't comprehend that. All that would be is darkness, grief, and loneliness for eternity. And these are other things that happened in the covenant exchange. Thirty garments and weapons were exchanged. Are we not commanded to take up the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal, the shield of faith, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth? When Jonathan and David cut covenant, Jonathan was the son of Saul. David loved Jonathan. And they cut a covenant together and they exchanged belts. My strength has now become your strength. What is mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And when Jonathan was hunted down and killed with his father Saul in a battle, in those times it was meant to be that the reigning king would now slay every person of the former king's family so there'd be no uprising against him. But there was one guy called Mephibosheth who was out at a place called Lodabar. And they found out that Mephibosheth lived out there. And when uh, Mephibosheth found that David knew where he was, he said, I'm a dead dog. He'll kill me for sure. But David, because he was in covenant with Jonathan, sent out for Mephibosheth, who was a lame cripple, and brought him to his table and treated him as a son because the covenant was for Jonathan and his generation. And David was a man of faith who served God and said that because I'm in covenant with my brother Jonathan and his family, everything I have is his. All of his sin, all of his brokenness, all of his rebellion, what he expected was death, and I'm going to give him life because it's in my power to do so. What a brilliant picture of what God does. So they exchange the belt, the belt or the girdle and say, this is my strength, is now your strength. And how many songs do we sing? You are my what? Strength. God. So many examples right there. Now the next part is really important because it's perhaps the most important. In a blood covenant, an animal had to be sacrificed. It had to be sacrificed and cut completely in two. And the parties, both parties would stand in the middle. And the split animal thus representing this one thing, that the animal gave up its life's blood for this covenant to be complete. God said, so too will I give up my life to maintain this covenant that I've made with you. Now here's the thing. Both parties would then cut their wrist and the blood would flow. And they would raise their hands in the air and they would clasp hands and the blood would run down and mingle and their hands were raised toward heaven making a witness to God to this agreement. The intermingling of the blood meant the blood relationship had been established. And then after this, they would often cauterize that cut by getting a hot branding iron and they would cauterize the cut and the wound. And this would leave a noticeable scar to act as a perpetual reminder that anybody that saw that scar knew that that person was in covenant with somebody else. 
if I was to say to you, who bore your scars? Remember Thomas. He went, now everybody thinks because Thomas doubted because he, he didn't believe Jesus was resurrected. He said, unless I see the scars on his hands and the wound in his side, I won't believe. Jesus appeared to him and he put his hands in his side and he fell down to his knees. He said, my Lord and my God, because he was a Jewish boy and he understood covenant and he knew that the blood of Jesus had been shed and his scars were there to prove it and he was alive. And so so. Doubting Thomas became believing Thomas and Thomas went from there and totally evangelized all of India because he knew the living God was with him and he was in covenant with God himself. See, you've got to understand, friends, that same promise that was for Thomas and all of the disciples in the first century is a, is a promise for you and I today. How powerful is the covenant of God through Jesus Christ? You know something, if you touch somebody that's, that has the mark of Christ, you're touching God himself. And there are many persecutions against the church of God. But let me tell you this, the mark of Jesus Christ is upon the church and God will deal with those. See, an act of you will, you will either choose to accept God and his love, grace, mercy and forgiveness or you will choose to reject it. And there are many. What? What? did the Lord say I would that you all be saved but what not all will be saved because I'll say this very very carefully what is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ and you would rightly say nothing but the thing is because we are given free will to either accept or reject I would say this the only thing that can negate the blood of Jesus Christ is the will of man because God will not make us into robots and say, you will love me and you will serve me. I give you free will to either love me, accept me or reject me. And not all will. So the will of man, man is given free will because it's my free will to love and accept all the goodness and grace that God has poured out for me in my brokenness and my emptiness and your brokenness and your emptiness that you have you've taken his blood upon your life. And we are sealed, the Bible says. We are marked in him. We carry the mark of Christ. Amen? Because we're in covenant with him. Do you understand this or am I too quick? Are you getting this this morning? You need to understand, friends, this is a powerful message that I want to share with you. This is, this, I shared with you some weeks ago, months ago. I'm only going to share with you my heart of hearts of everything God has taught me in my 38 years of walking with him. And this is incredibly powerful for the church to move into the 21st century. After the shedding of blood, names would be exchanged and they would carry part of that covenant name from that day forward. Now, as Pete rightly said, I was going to speak on Sarai or Sarah this week. But every time I came to do something on Sarah, which is a great message in that in itself, I, all I could come back to was my early teaching, as I said, from Malcolm Smith, where God cut covenant with Abraham and Sarah. Because before they were Abraham and Sarah, they were Abram and Sarai. That's who they were. But God had a plan for Abram and Sarai. And so he entered into a blood covenant with them. And see, the thing is, God exchanged gifts with them. Now, what could Abram and Sarai bring to God? Nothing. But God provided the sacrifice. God said, now we will exchange gifts, but you have nothing that you can give me, but I will give you a part of my name. 
Now we know that the Hebrew spelling for God is Y-H-W-H. We in our English language put vowels in there and it becomes Yahweh. But it was actually a Hebrew word that was not supposed to be spoken. The name of God was not supposed to be spoken. And if you were to say it, it is pronounced this way. Which is breath, pneuma, spirit. That's what it implied. But it was Y-H-W-H. And God said, Abram, no longer will you be Abram. You will be Abraham. And he took the first H of the Y-H of his name and he put it in Abram's name and he came, became Abraham. And then after that he said to his wife, Sarai, Sarai, you will become a part of the covenant under your husband and partner Abraham and you will take the second H and you will be called Sarah, not Sarai. And when you put that H in their names, it always, if you say it correctly, it sounds like wind. Abraham, got it? Still God, Sarah. Out there, we've got Sarah sitting up the back. She's hearing all about this. But so, understanding that that covenant from then, from that point on, do you know what Abraham was known as after that? Abraham, the friend of God. We sing that song, I am a friend of God. Why can we sing that? Because we are in covenant with God. Okay, and Sarai, do you know what Sarai meant? It meant beautiful princess. That's what it meant. Sarah. Get this, mother of nations. Abraham, father of nations. God said to Abraham, I will make you a great what? Nation. Was God true? Absolutely. To, to Sarai and Adam and Abram, right through to Sarah and, and Abraham. And the parties thenceforth, from then on, became friends of God. And after this, in the covenant, all of the assets and liabilities were then exchanged. And the united covenanted pair would share in each other's belongings and all their burdens and all of their joy. Then after the formal exchange of the covenant blessings and curses, then it was made in public. And finally the covenant was sealed with a permanent sign. It could either have been a plant or a tree, but most of the time it was a pile of rocks that said this day a covenant was established before God at this place. When they crossed over the Red Sea, a covenant was made and a, and a pile of rocks was there. We look at Noah's covenant. In Genesis 9, verses 12 to 13, God made this covenant with Noah after the flood. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations. Who? All generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The Noah covenant is a non-conditional God-to-man promise not to destroy the earth by flood ever again. The seal is the rainbow which serves as the constant reminder that God has laid down his bow of vengeance against mankind and will no longer destroy the earth that way. And we look at the Abrahamic covenant where God would bless them and make them a great nation. I just explained that to you. And then the Mosaic covenant with God, with Moses himself to, to deliver the people from captivity and lead them to a place called the promised land did the israelites reach the promised land friends yes they did were they cared for yes did they have battles to fight yes but god took them to the place of the promise because he was in covenant with moses all these covenants show us the greatest and the clearest picture that god wanted to intimately reconnect with broken fallen humanity everything in the old covenant is a picture 
representing the new. Mankind after the fall in the Garden of Eden was separation. Everything in the Old Covenant directly points to Jesus Christ and the New Covenant that God would make. Well, more importantly, for those to accept, for you and I, those people who want to accept to walk in that New Covenant of grace poured out at the cross of Calvary, this New Covenant. So right here this morning, I want to preach this gospel to you all. You might find this interesting. You're sitting in church and you want someone to preach the gospel to you. The moment somebody stops preaching the gospel in church is the time you close the doors. But it's no point singing to the choir. We have to have the door open to all of the people, every person to the left and to the right, to the forward and to the back of where we are who doesn't know Christ needs to hear it. And so you need to understand that the covenant that you are in and the grace that you carry in your life is not for you but for those who don't know Christ yet. But when you're assured of who you are in covenant with, that it's no longer you that live, but Christ who lives in you. It's no longer your brokenness that you take to people, but your wholeness. It's no longer the grief of your, of your sin and past. It is the redemption of the blood of Christ that you carry into that relationship. And when you speak, it is not you, but it is your covenant partner, the voice of God himself. And it's written in the blood of Jesus Christ, a covenant where we take that which God has, take, has given us. He takes our brokenness again, our humanity, our sin, our iniquity, our lies and our deceits our failings, our sadness, our disappointments, our anger, our bitterness and our unforgiveness. And this is post our, pre, post our salvation, by the way. As I said to you at the start, if I got you to stand up and sit down, if you'd never done these things, we've all done them. But each day is a new day. As the sun rises, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be, we'll be glad in it. We are glad in it because this is a day covenanted by the Lord until the Lord stops it and that's it. We have this grace abiding over us every day. But what I do every day is get up and I go for a prayer walk and I thank God for this new day and for open doors and for strength to, to help me where I failed. God, to, to strengthen me in my weakness. God, to create divine opportunities and divine appointments. Because God, while you're giving me breath in my lungs, I'm in covenant with you and I'm going to walk according to your will, plan and purpose. But how many of us sit down and do nothing? It's not the call of the church. We are to refire, not retire. We are to stand up, not sit down. We are to speak out, not be quiet. And he will give you divine appointments because of the covenant that you're in a relationship with him with. And it seems like we don't really bring a lot to this covenant, friends. Really. Because we were born into sin. And only a covenant with a sinless, perfect saviour can redeem you and I. Look at this slide in Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. And he, Jesus, took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup. After they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. The new what? In my blood remember I said Thomas understood what covenant was he knew it because Jesus spelt it out so clearly could this be the Christ in Hebrews 8 6 it also tells us Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant which is far superior far greater far mightier 
far more effective than any Noah, Abraham, Moses covenant. And it's founded on better promises for you and I. The new covenant is the covenant of substitution. Christ takes what we, de we deserve. We deserve death and separation from God for eternity. Instead, we receive what He deserves, and that is intimacy with the Father and the promise of eternal life in, in the Father's presence where Tony Sullivan is right now because I know the confession of his faith. The sign or the seal of this covenant is the Lord's table, communion. Every time we do this in remembrance that Jesus Christ died for us and in him we have everlasting life. It's important, just as in the covenants, to keep this sign, this understanding, as a witness to every person that we have a living, perpetual covenant relationship actually written in the blood of a new and living relationship with the Father. So here's a concluding thought. This morning you may not or perhaps never have fully understood what grace is. Some have said it's God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Yeah, that's good. But grace is far more. I was worthy of death and separation. But by the grace of God through his Son, I am restored, redeemed and made whole. It is God who by his love toward you and I sent Jesus to die on that cross. The only perfect sacrificial lamb. The only perfect lamb. Who shed blood signified once and for all time that God is now available to me. If I will partake in the covenant established at Calvary. And really, you like me, I've got nothing to offer him except my brokenness and my shame. But he says, that's all I want from you. And in exchange, I'll give you my wholeness and healing and the promises of eternity that are with me. That's the covenant that you enter into. That is the covenant that you walk in when you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And here's the final scripture for some of us to meditate on as we take communion together this morning. So those who are handing out the communion, could you please do that with me this morning? This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Could someone come and hand out these little communion numbers? It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for who? You. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. Where is Jesus? Seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for who? The saints, us, the church, you and I, as we go about this fallen world, walking in the blood covenant that he established back at Calvary over 2,000 years ago. Church, this is the most powerful, liberating, strengthening message that I can preach to you. If you forget anything else that I've ever preached, get this. You, when you accept Christ, are in a covenant relationship. The Bible says in Psalm 14:1, only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Only the fool. And the Bible says, call no man fool, but the person judges themselves when they say, God, I reject you. I will choose secular humanism. 
I will choose this lifestyle. I will choose to follow that cult. I will choose to follow that. There are people that would rather worship Satan. That's not new, friends. But the Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua says. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think we all know the truth today that this is the gospel I preach. I cannot do this in my strength. Greg Holder does not have the strength. Actually, he's very weak and very broken. I can only do it in his. Therefore, my life is surrendered to him. And because and through Jesus Christ, I'm now in covenant relationship with God. And so are you. That's why and how both you and I can now truly and honestly and most with all passion heart call him Father. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, thank you for those that you have given me. Father, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life and let me be your vessel to them. Father. And so I call no man, but I do call my heavenly Lord, Father. And my prayer starts out, Father, I thank you. I thank you for these people. Father, I thank you for this word. Father, I thank you for the covenant that's been established for me. So why don't you just bow your heads with me and we pray as we take these inputs. Father, I thank you for your unfailing love, that you are no respecter of persons, that all we can bring into this covenant is our brokenness in exchange for your wholeness. All we take, bring is our sin to your sinlessness. And Father, as the sacrificial lamb you went to the cross and you were virtually cut into and your blood flowed and the scars were taken Lord God I thank you for the body of Jesus Christ that was put on the cross to signify a new covenant a better covenant written Father by the perfect lamb who laid himself there, the mediator between God and man. I thank you for the blood, but I thank you first for the body that was there placed by a willingness and was pierced for our sins and wounded for our transgressions. So we eat this morning thanking you, God, that your son was acceptable. Let's eat this morning. Now, Father, I hold in my hand a cup that simply signifies the blood. As you said in the Last Supper, this is the blood of the new covenant, written in your blood. Your blood that washes away the sin of the world. I thank you that my sin is under your blood. There is no righteousness in me, and yet in me is all righteousness through Jesus Christ. So I thank you that as I do this, I do this in remembrance that you died for me. And you made a way for me now to have eternal life with the Father. And you make intercession for my brokenness and my transgressions every day. 
But Lord, I would pray that we would take that gift that you've given us and may it empower us to serve you with all the might and strength that we have, turning away from the dark things that deceive and destroy our lives and turn to the Most High who has a path, a purpose and a plan for each one of us until you call us home. And so, Lord, I thank you for the blood of the cross. I thank you that I am in covenant with you and nothing will snatch me out of your hand because that is the promise of your covenant through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the blood and I do this in remembrance that you are my great mediator to God and man. Let's drink this morning. Now, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you and give you peace. May you take this word, apply it to your life. Study and have a look and see if you're in covenant with God. I'm sure you are. And if you're in covenant with God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about this morning, or you want to qualify or clarify anything I've shared with you, I will be here and I will talk with you with my open heart. But I promise you this, this revelation came to me in my early Christian walk and it's one of the most powerful transitional things that ever happened to me. That even in my brokenness and my sin and my shame when I feel so separated, I know that my God, it is my sin exchanged for his righteousness. Every day, keep short accounts with God. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just to take your sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more. He is a covenant-keeping God.